Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the Expert to Authority show. I'm your host, Simone Vincenzi here, and this is the show for experts who want to grow their businesses while making an impact in the world. And uh, we come to you every week with uh, different episodes, sometimes uh, sharing some of the behind the scene of uh, what we do with GTEx to grow our businesses. Sometimes we have other incredible experts like we have today, where you can learn important skills that can help you grow your expert business and ultimately become an authority in your field. So if you're new to us, uh, welcome and make sure you subscribe. If you're returning, uh, you're already one of our regular listeners, uh, welcome back. Before we start, I want to mention again our webinar conversion kit because you know that one of the best ways to um, uh, get customers and get clients and also get the right people to come to your business is running uh, online presentations, whether it's a webinar or a masterclass, but they can get to hear from you first before they buy or before they book that consultation. But creating a webinar has a lot of moving pieces uh, of the puzzle. There is a particular structure that a presentation must follow to get someone that never heard of you to actually buy from you or book a call with you. So how do you do all that? Well, good news. We have created our webinar conversion kit where you have an end-to-end tools to build your high converting presentation, emails follow-up, and that's less than $30. So make sure you get it now at webinarconversionkit.com. So that's webinarconversionkit.com, or you can scroll down and check the first link in the show notes. Now, it is time to introduce our guest because today we are talking about building a team. Uh, you know, you arrive at a point in your, in, your, in your business, even as an expert, you start on your own, and then you need help. But how do you get this help? <laughs> um, building a team is not as easy as it looks like. And I can tell you because I definitely am still wearing many scars. And so our guest today, she's a team growth strategist and she's advisory an advisory CEO. She equips small business owners with operational confidence to lead, manage, and grow their teams. I wish I knew about her before and build a strong culture based on consent and accountability. She's based in Tucson, Arizona, and works with clients all over the world. So today we are going to talk about how to survive your growth spurt and build a powerful team with Karen Surgeon. Karen, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Uh, same here. Uh, talking about building teams. Uh, now, uh, as we mentioned in the, in the beginning of our conversation, um, is something that uh, kind of uh, a lot of entrepreneurs, in particular in the expert space, uh, they stumble ac- upon. Uh, what they want, they have an expertise. They want to either monetize their expertise or they want to make a bigger impact. They want to do both. And then uh, business starts coming their way, hopefully. And uh, then there is a point where you realize I cannot do this anymore by myself. And that's where you come into place, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a, it's a fun niche to me in because only successful businesses get to this point. Mm -hmm. So these are, these are growing pains, but it's the emphasis is on growing. So if you are feeling this pinch, you know, congratulations, you have, 
you have sales volume, you figured it out, you have customers and clients and they're banging down your door. Absolutely. And I don't want to paint a picture like doom and gloom for people that are still building to that stage. But sometimes you think about, oh, when I will get to that size, all my problems will be solved. It's not, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, your problems will be bigger <laughs> and they will be different, but still you will have problems. That's the nature of the beast. But at the same time, you have more resources, more tools and more awareness to solve those problems compared to the beginning. So before we get into the do's and don'ts of hiring, mm-hmm. uh, what uh, what got you to, to this point? Because uh, you, you have a background in the CIA and now you're starting hiring teams. So how did that happen? Right. How did that work out? Yeah. Well, I feel like I feel like I'm in the third chapter of my career arc. You know, the first the first was uh, in the 90s uh, in Silicon Valley. I was a um, product management for uh, for a software company that was just starting to dabble in the internet during the dot com boom. And so those were some wild times, lots of deep pockets, a lot of really fun um, uh, startups and little um, auxiliary startups and things like that. I really made my bones there and learned about risk management and just moving fast. And when the boom um, began to fizzle out, I I pulled out and uh, went back to my passion uh, that I went to school for, which was counterterrorism. So I actually found myself in the CIA. I was actually on the bin Laden desk on September 11th and spent most of the next decade in and out of a war zone and leading teams and juggling projects and things like that. And that led to gigantic burnout, just absolute, almost physical collapse. And I had to, again, pull out moved to the beach, licked my wounds, and tried to figure out what I could do And by not walking into a building in the morning and walking back out in the afternoon. And this, the gig economy was taking off. And so I thought, well, what can I do on the gig economy? Like, what are my transferable skills? I, at first, I didn't think I had any. But then I thought, you know, I'm, I'm leading teams and projects during fast pace, high stakes, um, high ambiguity situations. I have some wisdom here. And so I translated that into operations management, sort of the running of the daily business for visionary CEOs who want to focus on sales or the product, but don't want to focus on management of the team and the business. And so I'm a kind of a really nice puzzle piece for those people when I bring my experience to the table and sort of hitch it up to their passion and their visionary eyes and things like that. My mind has a question that I need to ask, which Mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, making the transition from uh, um, being on Bin Laden's desk and 9-11 and uh, working uh, in these environments where, you know, you you not only have a few jobs on the line, you have the lives of millions of people on the line and with uh, events that you know, shaped our history as well uh, on a global level. Me not being American shaped my history too as well, right? Uh, how was that a transition go to, I would say, maybe like an environment where there, there, there is less at stake after being for so many years, having that kind of pressure on? Uh, do you feel the difference or is that no difference at all? I, where, where do you see that? It was very, very hard. It was very hard. You put your finger right on it. So there was a lot of soul searching 
So there was sort of the practical soul searching, which is what can I do to make money? You know, what skills do I have to make money? That, that wasn't so easy, but that was the easy part. The harder part was who am I if I'm not doing that? Who am I if I'm not doing that kind of work, that kind of important work, that kind of, and that actually was my first love. Like that's, that is what fueled my passion. I just was unable to continue because of, of the physical burnout. And so that was a very rocky, not smooth transition. And in some ways I haven't really landed. I I think, I think what I've done is made my peace with, 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 not having sort of that warm bath of mission to sort of sink into. It's not what I do in the world is compelling to me. um, And it's kind of a switch, kind of a a tweak to what I used to do. But in terms of, you know, it just in terms of like, uh, of the, just how I think about it, I think it's less, it's, it's definitely a step down. And I think it's a step in maturity, frankly, that I can be, that I've learned who I am without like a role put on me or a situation put on me. You know, I think sometimes those are crutches and we have to sort of stand on our own two feet. So there's a little philosophy in there, I think. No, that's, I think, uh, I think that's very wise what you said right now, because uh, um, I've definitely been to a period of transition where I was like, okay, but who am I without my business? Who am I without GTEx? I've been running GTEx for the past 10 years. So who am I without GTEx? And it's actually a question that I had to ask myself a couple of, uh, literally last year. And it's not an easy, it's not an easy answer to find because a lot of time when we grow, and I think that also happens when you start your business starting from small and you're on your own, and then you end up building a team, going the context of what we are talking about. There is a, the real sense of identity that needs to be reshaped. Like I see myself as one person, but now I need to see myself as something different, as someone different. And uh, those period of restructuring, they, they come on a personal level. And sometimes they come on a company level. They come together sometimes, sometimes at different times. It's, uh, life, life is unpredictable in that way. Well, thank you for sharing. And uh, and I think that, you know, from uh, your experience in the Silicon Valley to your experience in the CIA, that becomes a, a, a good natural transition to say, you know what, I can help other companies do that because I've learned so much in the projects that I run that I can give them a hindsight. So what are some of the biggest mistakes from your perspective that companies make when they, they're growing? So they hit a, gr- a growth spurt. Mm-hmm. They got clients coming in and they're more like in this phase where they're like, I can't do this on my own. <laughs> they realize I can't do this on my own. I need help. Someone told me that I need to hire. Yeah. Question as, mark. So exactly. <laughs> what, what do you one, see the mistakes being? One of my prospects told me, he goes, we have five proposals out. And if any one of them say yes, we're screwed. That's the situation. It's just the business is coming in and you, you would think that that's the marker of, which it is, it is the marker of success, but it is breaking what's in the back office uh, in terms of your processes, in terms of team capacity, workload capacity. And it's not particularly, I mean, you know, you need to add to your team. That part is not a mystery, but there's all sorts of questions that get hung on that. Like, how do you hire smartly? Who am I hiring? That kind of thing. I think actually the one of the biggest problems I face is the tolerance for brute forcing your way through it. And I think that comes, especially with the small and scrappy 
uh, either uh, entrepreneurs or the startups that are scrappy, who are kind of used to bearing down and sort of pushing through it, they want to see if they can push through this. If they can just get through this busy season, if they can just get through these last two clients, like maybe then they'll they'll be a breather. So they delay, 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 and they think they're just going to be able to muddle through it. And it can be so sometimes this pain, I call it the pain point that's really painy when you need, <laughs> when you have come to the conclusion that you cannot brute force it, you're pretty much looking for a solution and quick because because you do need the help. That's uh, so true. I, I think I, I remember when uh, um, I found, uh, in particular in my experience, the biggest difference between that time where I can just put my head down and work is that now when you're hiring people on a conscious level, you know, you can't just put your head down and work because now you need to train them. You need to make sure that they, you give them uh, support for them to perform can just dump stuff on them and probably a lot of people they it was a mistake that they've made like i hire you and from the moment you're in i'm expecting you to do things and then i'm getting annoyed because you don't think as, as well as i can do it so i'm gonna take them back but uh, and that goes to that point where you know you, you gotta slow down a bit so how do you work with um, uh, businesses or entrepreneurs or ceos that you know, they are so used to, because it's a matter of habit, you're so used to put your heads down and plow through compared to lift your head up, plan and be strategically strategic. So how do you work with uh, with someone like that? Yes, yes. So it's fantastic if they have that self-awareness, because what I can do is supply the strategy. So mm-hmm. I can come in and sort of look at, every, in fact, that's what I do. I come in and I look at all the work and then I look at all the people doing the work and I start to rearrange it looks like a different org chart. Um, usually it's, if there's an org chart, it's extremely flat. Everybody and everything points to the, uh, you know, reports into the CEO, which is unsustainable after a while. And then I also, most of these folks have the problem with everyone wears 18 hats. And so which seven are we peeling off and making its own position? Like it's not clear who you necessarily need to hire. And they always want, you know, the unicorn. I need a developer who can do a little bit of sales calls, who can actually go into Canva and maybe do some Infusionsoft. Can you, can you find that? And I'm like, oh, come on. You know? <laughs> and so we have to, we have to, you know, strip the hats and start, yeah, yeah. start rearranging the work and the workload on the existing team and on the empty slots so exactly. that we can find a person yeah. and get them in and get them successful. Like so saying, uh, I need someone who is creative, has attention to detail, is self-sufficient uh, and self-determined and at the and same time take care, right. take care <laughs> of other people. So you pick all the entire disc profile and you put them into one person. I haven't met... <laughs> <laughs> like, right. If there is someone like that, please let me know because right. uh, <laughs> I'm right, going right. to hire them. Uh, I'm curious, what has been the biggest turnaround story that you have from the moment oh. you walked in and uh, you said, this is a mess Oh, to a successful <laughs> resolution? <laughs> I, walked into, I have walked into situations and I was like, how have you come this far? That is a lot of talent and a lot of determination and a lot of pain tolerance to uh, to come this far because I feel like we add a lot of headcount to uh, even just for the existing workload. But everyone's uh, you know the the teams 
the team is sort of used to bracing, especially if you're in the online launch. Um, not every business I work with is, but that sort of intense period where, you know, <laughs> five years of work gets compressed into five weeks yeah. and, but, and everyone sort of does everything. Um, and then getting, actually getting specialists on board to handle just that one thing, but handle it to a degree where uh, the, the errors come down and their ability to uh, foresee problems and solve them before they happen, go up. And then suddenly you're solving problems that you haven't actually experienced yet and things get smoother and smoother. And people can see how that kind of an investment in a specialist can pay off. Um, whereas before they're kind of just looking at the dollar figure and going, mm, I don't think I can afford, I don't think the business can afford that. Like that's a dream. So, uh, so it's really, there's a lot going on, especially mindset wise in the, in the, in the, in the head and heart of the owner, uh, during this period. And so some of the most dramatic, uh, growth stories aren't exactly, oh, I added, you know, I tripled the headcount or something like that. It's more that the, the business owner wakes up and thinks about the business differently, uh, because of, because of sort of going through that crunch time and sort of seeing what the, 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 the next level. It's just not the current level with more people. You really are turning a corner and doing business differently and thinking about your business differently once you hit that, hit that inflection point and make, the, and make the turn. What does it take for someone to change you know, vision of the business in such a, in such a drastic way? Because I agree with you. That's what you got to do. The business, you don't see the business in the same way. But you have, but most of the time, probably with the people that you work with, you know, the business is your baby. Right? Yes. You, you put your yes. blood, sweat, tears, savings, sleepless night, arguments with your partner, arguments with your family, all in that. That is not just business. It's much more. There is way more invested. So how do you get someone to change their perspective? Yeah, you put your hand, your finger right on it. It's the... It is understanding that you and your business are two separate things. They really are. And that you're more committed to the mission of your business than you are to having your finger in each of the pie pies and, and, and sort of just being the, the, you know, it's understanding that there's a team that is going to help you achieve your mission and that they have an equal ownership in the mission as you do, that they can be just as passionately attached to your mission as you are, and you need to unclench your fists and let other people help. It isn't easy. That is not easy, especially for um, some visionary entrepreneurs who just feel that it's difficult for them to delegate, not the mechanics, but the, the getting out, what getting the, the vision out so that another person can help you build and then understanding that that's going to be a different thing than if you built it yourself. And, and I think ultimately it comes down to a choice. You either stay where you are and you can't grow any further because if you're going to be the guy doing the work, there's your, there's your ceiling. Or if you're committed to the mission, you're committed to learning a new way of doing business and having, you know, growing a team that can help you. And it really can be a choice. Some people decide to stay small because they want to do it. Fine. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing what they love is doing the work. 
Yes. If you love doing the work, is I think it becomes the difference between loving doing the work and loving being a business owner. Perfect. When you're when you're a business owner, you're not doing the, the work anymore or very little of that. It becomes a new set of responsibilities, a new set of decisions, a, a new set of habits and activities that you're doing daily, which they get you even more and more removed most of the time from the things that you started doing from the beginning because you love doing that thing. And that's a big, a big shift that I agree. And, and no, I, one, I and no my, one wants to make it. Not everyone wants to make it. Right. I put myself in the other camp. I'm a one woman show. I'm happy to remain. So I have no interest in growing. I like doing the work. Mm-hmm. I like do it, solving the problems and doing the work. I do run other <laughs> part of my work is running other people's businesses. So I actually do have that, have the both experiences, but, um, but I've made a decision. It's a conscious one. Um, and it, I think it's understanding that you can't eat your cake and have it. You have to actually make, make a choice as a growing business owner. Are you more interested in your mission or would you like to fill your weeks with stuff that's fun to do? And both are great choices. So let's say that someone says, uh, you know, for the purpose of this interview, uh, let's say someone says, actually, yes, I want to grow this beyond me. I want to grow this because I understand that by having a bigger team, I can have a bigger impact. The the mission of the, there is way more that we can do as a business. And actually, I start loving the game of business, not just what I do. Let's say that someone reached that realization and they say, yes, I need help. A lot of the hiring process goes down to culture. Um, What is the culture that you create in your organization for the new people that come in that might not necessarily be familiar with you, with the way you work, with the way you operate, with your business? So, uh, and I understand that you have uh, three fundamental things that build build culture in business. Mm -hmm. So what are these three parts? Yes, you know, I backed into them actually because I had a lot of clients coming to me with accountability. I have an accountability problem. I have a performance problem on my team. And I would always say, okay, let's walk back. How well do they know what their job is? This person who, who perhaps is underperforming, have you been transparent with your expectations? And a lot of times I get back, you know, well, she should already know how to do this and that. I haven't told her because she should already know she's an expert. She should know. And I cried no fair. No fair having us have an imaginary yardstick. Like all, if you're going to evaluate somebody based on something, speak it, let it be known. So transparency is the first foundation for a, a good team culture. And then the second is consent and agreement, which is when, when I've shaped or scoped your, either your project or your, or a very specific task, I'm asking you, Simone, can you get that done by Tuesday? There's a lot of times people just kind of throw a task over the fence at somebody and they kind of pile up because the different different folks on the team are all throwing stuff over the fence to that one person and they haven't actually signed up for any of that stuff. You know, they they kind of assume that she'll get it done or she'll speak up, but you know, she's buried. So when there is both a an assignment and a acknowledgement of the assignment, we have an agreement. And that person is way more signed up to make it happen or to speak, you know, to send up a flare if it's not going to happen because she was consulted and there was agreement. And so usually if you go back to transparency or agreement, you will almost always, 
almost always, solve your accountability and performance issues. So then you create the culture of accountability where if you agreed to do something, please get it done. And I'm going to assume you are going to get it done because how else are adults going to have to, you know, we're adults, we're growing a business, we all have to rely on each other's word, but we have, we have agreement, we're speaking our constraints and our expectations and making them visible. And that's a really solid foundation to, to grow on. That sounds very common sensey. I hope it did, but I'll tell you what, it is almost never completely present in the teams that I walk into. There's just too much clairvoyance, you know, read my mind. No, that's not it. Read my mind again. No, that's not it. You know, there's a lot of that going on. And uh, and then disappointment. She didn't hit the mark. I didn't tell her how to hit the mark, but she didn't hit the mark. And so there's a lot of disappointment. What mark to hit? Right. What was the measurement of hitting that mark? Exactly. No, I mean, I, I feel I feel better about myself now. I think I'm doing quite a lot of good things. Uh, <laughs> definitely that I wasn't doing at the beginning. Uh, but yes, I, we have a rule within GTEx that if you say yes to something, you're going to get it done. I'd rather yes. you to say, no, I can't do it. But if you say yes and we establish the deadline, we do it together. If there are any delays, I'm expecting you to communicate. That's a requirement. Like it's an expectation. Mm-hmm. I'm expecting you to communicate if there are any delays or if you are blocked in certain situation. Um, and uh, you need to come to me. That's like, I'm not chasing you. I mean, if you don't hear from you, I'm assuming everything is all right. And you're moving, and you're moving forward. But if when the moment of our meeting comes and you haven't communicated, if you were stuck or there are delays, I'm going to be very annoyed if that happens. And I'll make it clear from the first meeting that we have that that's something that drives me bonkers. And uh, we have been, we are entering to a good rhythm, but because I had the same problem before where I wasn't communicating, I wasn't clear, there wasn't any agreement in how we would operate. And then I would get frustrated because I see people not doing their things, but actually there was no deadline set. And uh, so I can, I can. So you, totally backed, you backed yourself into exactly the same culture and it's working for you. So Fantastic. Exactly. Which now leads me to another question because one of the biggest problems when someone is busy and it's like, okay, I got all this work coming in is then to hire someone. And if someone has already hired someone, you know that basically every time you hire someone, most of the time, it takes you three times the work because you're hiring that person, then you have to train them, then you have to check what they do. So what you think is a task that you delegate which uh, you say, okay, I actually can free my time. No, for the first few times, you're actually doing three times the work that you were doing (laughs) before. Yes. If you want to train them well. Yes. So how do you get someone uh, now that they are super busy to actually prioritize it and uh, do this in a way that doesn't break the business? What What is your view on that? Right, right. So press of business is one of the, it is one of the reasons that brute forcing your way through it is attractive. That's, it, 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 it sounds maybe insane, but sometimes brute forcing it will actually take less work than peeling off and trying to do the extra triplicate work of hiring and onboarding somebody. So uh, support, get outside support. As I am guessing that that anyone what we're talking about is probably not an expert in hiring. First of all, shaping the job description, 
understanding how it fits into the overall structure and the work, uh, the work getting done. So there is actual work before you float a position and you do some interviews. It's making sure that everything is everything, every, the org chart makes sense. And there's a, a, like a place for everything and everything in its place. There's like work for everyone and every, you know, a, a body for each piece of work that makes sense. And then you can shape a great job description. It's funny. Some of my clients say, well, you know, well, that was easy when, when um, I give them like one candidate that I've, that I've screened and sent to them and they have their one interview and they're like, I think she's perfect. And I said, great. And they're like, how did you do that? That seems so easy. And I'm like, that's because we did all of the setup work. We shaped the job description. We wrote a great job description. Somebody could actually see themselves in it and rule themselves in and all the people who wouldn't work ruled themselves out. Like there's, there's, there's an art to doing this so that you are attracting and repelling appropriately so that when the time comes for me to use your valuable job to speak with a candidate, we've nailed it. We've all but nailed it. And so there are ways of making it easier if you have the time to, you know, reach out and get support for something like that. Yeah. You can definitely, if you are in that, time crunch where your organization your company is growing and you think and you're already busy already now adding this extra level which is a complete set of new skills to learn and to try and to test is absurd so make sure you get some help (laughs) i think that's the the bottom line i mean you can do it figure it out of course everything anyone can do what they want but it's gonna be it's gonna be tough, and I can tell you, and, and I can tell you as well from experience. Um, what are your thoughts? I want. I have one last question for wrap up the interview. What are your thoughts uh, about hiring multiple people at the same time? Because I don't know if you come across this situation where now I, I I made the decision, so someone has made the decision that they got to hire and they want to hire. And then they start looking at all the possible people that they can have in their business. And now they want to hire all of them at the same time. Uh, I don't know if you have ever come across this situation and how would you deal with that situation? (laughs) Well, I do recommend um, that we, so we're validating those positions uh, also against budget, you know, so if you actually have the purse strings to hire, uh, you know, a number of different positions all at once, you know, that's exciting. That's a, that's a very exciting business. And I have hired multiple positions. I've had three at once for, uh, for, in fact, just recently for, uh, for a growing business, um, three totally different parts of the company, not, not three versions of the same position, but three different positions altogether. Um, And we hired them in quick succession. Um, She had the money for it. And, and yes, there is an onboarding burden, but you know she's looking at the long term, and she just sees three strong experts in their niche, and she just thinks you know she's just ready to go. So uh, we prepped for that. We have very specific job descriptions. We hired the best possible people. I was super excited about our candidate pool, and then we had a strong onboarding. You know, and part of her onboarding she's a brand new company. She's an expert author and she's turning into um, sort of online courses. And so she sits on expertise and uh, intellectual property, but she's still sort of building the plane as she's flying it on the, on the work side. And all she can, you know, she's just grateful for the help and she's just ready to go. So part of the onboarding is this, uh, 
part of my interview and screening was this position didn't exist before. You're going to need to grow it from scratch. Are you that person? So there's system maintainers and then there's system creators. And so we needed to find the appropriate expertise plus a systems creator person who can step into a role that didn't exist before and just go, this is how it's done at this company and help actually build it. So that we knew that ahead of time, we screened for it and we found those folks. So it is possible. It's not a suicide mission. Of course, <laughs> everything's uh, possible. <laughs> yeah, the, the, reason, the reason why I asked is because uh, I went, uh, I think one year we went from uh, like four to 14 people in GTEx. Uh, and um, and that the way I'd done it was a suicide mission. Oh, the way I did it was a suicide <laughs> mission because then we went back to about eight uh, from 14 then we downsized to eight because I was losing it. Mm. And what I didn't calculate, yeah, what I didn't calculate was, uh, and what I haven't done that you mentioned, and I think that that's why someone like you is gold in a business. What I haven't done is all the pre-work for the people to be ready. So I hired people where I was seeing need yes. and higher, higher, higher. But now they had no clear guidance. There was mm. no clear job description. There was mm. no clear measurement and they all needed training. Right. And that when I realized what I've done, <laughs> I was like, why, how did I, it took me about six months in and six months, when I was six months in after the, that madness, I said, no, 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 I need, I can't sustain this. And, uh, but what I'm hearing you saying throughout this interview is that the work that you do up front is as important as the work that you do when you hire someone after you hire someone, if not even more important. Yeah, it sets you up for success or or a struggle like you found. So you were correct in assuming you needed headcount and help, and you were probably close with who needed to be hired, like what specific expertise needed to be hired. Yeah. But that was... Uh, you know, close, but no cigar for the the foundation that needed to be in place to have those folks come in and show up and actually be value adds. It sounds like they weren't able to even be a value add. They were a value suck, I guess, you know, for the, for those months. And you were going crazy because you were growing and now you triplic, you know, tripled or quadrupled your workload trying to give them their individual help. Yeah. Which is actually, that's a, okay, let's wrap up with this question. I have one more. I'm greedy. Mm. Uh, let's wrap up with this question because uh, there is a difference in hiring. You can uh, hire for expert, uh, experts already. So we are, you know, they are in, they know what they're doing and they are them guiding you. Or you can hire for people that have potential. You can see, okay, yes. this person has the right attitude. You know, I'm not going to, I'm going to save money on, on the salary that I'm going to give. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I can see the potential of training and building this person up in the business because I, I can see where they can go. How do you decide in your mm-hmm. process when you do your organizational chart, where, who, where would you hire who? Right. So I would say, well, it all depends on the org chart, but the, the immediate manager of that person, of the grower, the one who's going to grow into the position needs a lot of capacity just to manage, to manage and coach and mentor and provide that. So that person's workload needs to be 60%, whatever it is, um, ability, capacity just to manage. So that would not be an owner by no, unless you want to slow your growth while you mentor somebody, which would kind of be a, I mean, I guess it's a choice, but that would be probably not typical. So if you had some management 
like a manager tier that had the capacity and the expertise. They've grown, they've grown somebody and mentored somebody before. Sure. That's a great choice. If you don't have that, then you need, it's all just what, what is the right fit for the existing people and where you're going and what your purse strings say, you know, what's your budget? All of it comes together. It's an, it, you know, so it's all in play. It's all valid. And um, we just need to find. You said said something that makes things in perspective a lot because uh, someone generally is finding a new hire. In particular, I've seen the trend of how I started hiring or I see a lot of our clients, how they start hiring when they start growing their businesses. You know, they generally go for a junior position to someone that because it's cheaper. Mm, it's cheaper right. and they can say actually this person has you know they have the fire in them they is someone young is someone junior they, they want to go they want to learn there is this hunger that you can see and then you can give them something but you said some yet i've never heard you quantified in this way we say okay actually you need to have about 60 percent capacity to manage that one person just one so just imagine that now you have two or three junior people is actually or even one is probably costing you more than hiring a more senior or expert one because of what you're not calculating is also the time that you need to put in place until that person is at a similar level, not even the same one, it is close enough to that person that you could have hired at the beginning. Yes. I mean, quite possibly, and that 60% was a guess, but but definitely some capacity and some expertise to to mentor a junior yeah. a junior person and and uh, grow their skills and their expertise and things like that and there are you know there are some people for whom the budget reigns supreme and they have to go that way yeah. and they make the investment and they benefit that's that's an investment that if that person the if they can stay with the company for a long time you actually do make that back yeah, you do make yeah. that back. Plus, plus, if you hire a junior person in when you're when you're figuring it out just as much as they would be figuring it out, you just figure it out together. I mean, it, it can work. It can work. But a, for a, a, a mature sort of a growing business that has some headcount and needs to add more because they have some serious sales yeah. volume coming yeah. in. Yeah. That may or may not be right. It kind of sounds like that might not be an investment. That's just the time to ROI is way too far down the road when you need help today. So might not be the right move. This conversation has been gold from the beginning, from looking at, you know, mistakes that make when you hire, how to build culture, the debate around that you hire senior, you are someone junior. Um, and of course, your business depends on your business and what you need. And that's why... Karen is here doing what she does so she can give you that extra help. So if someone wants to reach out to you, Karen, I know you have some resources that people can download plus ways to connect with you. So how can people find out more about your work? Sure. Come find me at karensargent.com. And there, if you're, if you're interested in support, just go ahead and book a call and we'll, we'll hash through what the, what the needs are. If you're thinking that you might try your own hand at hiring, I do have a hiring guide because a lot of the questions I get is not just how can I make a smart hire, but they want um, many business owners these days want to hire someone who's very aligned with their company's core values. And so that's a question I get asked, which is how do I make sure that my values are in full, are just sort of merging with my job requirements and things like that so that I can make a great, you know, a great hire, not just on the expertise side, but on the fit side, like on the culture fit side. And I have a hiring guide for that. And that's just at karensargent.com slash hiring guide. 
Oh, karensurgeon.com for all word-related Karen Surgeon and uh, karensurgeon.com forward slash hiring guide for the hiring guide. I'm definitely going to have a look at the hiring guide. So I would recommend you to scroll down, go in the show notes and get also your copy of the hiring guide. And if you're ready to have a conversation, absolutely book that call with Karen. So Karen, to wrap up with this interview, how would you... Uh, what would be your final thought about the conversation that we had and how would you wrap it up like in a, in a nice bow? Well, oh, the conversation that we had in a had. nice bow. Yeah. So I think um, one of the first, so when you're at this inflection point and you're super excited, you should be super excited that you're here in this pitch. That's, I guess that's the one thing I want to, it's not a bummer. This is great news. You get to hire folks who want to do their work in the world and do it for you and your business and your mission. How cool is that? Is that not winning? It is winning to be able to open up capacity on your team and grow your business that way. And just not just have the impact out in the world, but have the impact back at home with the people in your org chart. Um, I think it's a tremendous position for entrepreneurs and small business owners to be in. So we're the change makers. We're, we're being the change we want to see in the world. And this is just one way we can make that happen. Ladies and gentlemen, Karen Surgeon. Karen, thank you very much. It has been a pleasure having a chat with you today. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for <coughs> watching. Thank you for listening. Uh, remember that if you have not subscribed, hit the subscribe button right now, whether it's on your YouTube channel or on your favorite podcasting platform, so you don't miss any other episode of the Expert to Authority show. And also uh, leave us a review. Reviews are the lifeblood of every podcast. Let us know what has been your biggest lesson from the show. And it's good for the guest, it's good for the podcast, it's good for my ego. So give us a five-star review and we can, we can all together help grow this show. Until next time, remember that together we grow exponentially. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Explode Your Expert Business Show. If you enjoyed the interview, please subscribe to the show and leave us a review. Every week, we will select a winner from the reviews that we get. So it might be you. Make sure you give us a review. It means the world to us, and that's how we, you can help us grow the show. Also, remember to download the Expert Business Checklist to get the roadmap on how to become an authority in your field. The link is in the show notes, or you can visit gtex.events forward slash expert iPhone checklist. So it's gtex.events forward slash expert iPhone checklist. And as well, finally, if you want to receive daily support in your coaching and speaking business or explore how we can work together, join our private Facebook group, Explode Your Expert Biz. Again, you can find it on Facebook at Explode Your Expert Biz or the link is in the show notes. Thank you very much for listening and until next time, remember that together we grow exponentially.